0: gathered here at the cross as followers of Jesus, people whose master died naked on the tree, asking ourselves the question, what does this mean for my presence in the world? How is my style to be as I interact with people in the world? What is God calling me to do? And so we're investigating the question of social networking, your social life, based on the ministry and teaching of Jesus. And today we come to Mark chapter 2, seeking to identify Jesus' style in the world. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd... They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. some teachers of the law were sitting there and thinking to themselves why does this fellow talk like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sin but God alone immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that they were thinking these things in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or get your mat and go home but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And the scripture says, this amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, your social engagement in the world. I have an idea for you. Particularly if you're afraid of being rejected. If you're worried that your efforts to connect to people... Might be rebuffed, all right, which is a real fear. And for some people, it's an overriding fear. The fear of rejection just looms in their mind and it freezes them up in social settings so they really can't reach out beyond themselves. I know a man named Darrell, he lives at Jefferson Healthcare Center. Jennifer knows him. If Daryl hears that there is someone who is coming to sing with them and pray with him, he will get dressed, though it is a chore because he has no hands. But he will do it. He will get ready. And he will make it out to the meeting room at the center He'll find somebody to push him in that wheelchair because he has no feet. And if you go and try to connect to Daryl, he is eager to hear from you. If you talk to him very long, you'll discover that he's a man of faith. And he's looking forward to having a new body one day. If you go to the need, you will find the doors open to connect to your world and join the good news conversation. Choose need over easy opportunity. You've got some things that you could do that appear to you to be easy. Some of the things that you could choose to do with your life, some of the directions you could go with your life right now, you know are going to take you away from God instead of toward him. That if you go that way, but it's so easy because everybody's walking down that road and the temptation is for you to go there too. I've heard about four people this very week who have wandered down the wrong path and right now they feel lost and confused and wonder what their life is really about. And I'm challenging you, instead of taking the easy way, the easy path, choose the way of need to connect to your world. You're trying to decide what to do with your life. You've got all kind of potential. God has given you a liber- liberty, In your soul, he has freed you from your sin. you got a home in heaven. You want to make your life useful and significant? Go to the need. Jack Hunter, I don't think he's here today, but he told the story when I was in Atlanta this week. He and I both spoke of carrying lunches to the Florida housing community... And being asked to take some lunches to some people in the brick part of that community. And the brick part was the old part and the awful part. In fact, it was in the brick part where my heart first broke for the housing in that community. And I thought, Lord, what can we do to help these people have clean, safe houses? And Jack said he walked through this dark stairwell with his lunches following this man he'd never seen before. And all the lights were broken out. And they got to this door. And when they opened the door, every aperture in that apartment was covered over with plywood. And he could barely see. And his eyes were trying to adjust to the light. And all of a sudden, he sees these hands reaching up from the floor. I'll take some. Give me some. I want you to picture a world of hands reaching up in the dark. And know that God can use you to touch people with the gospel if you are willing to go to the need. There were four guys here who inconvenienced themselves by getting a mat and carrying their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they went to the need. And Jesus immediately went to the need when the paralyzed man dropped down in front of him. You know how I know? Because he, because he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. The primary need of the paralyzed man was forgiveness. Say, I don't know what sins he had forgiven. I suppose a paralyzed man is something like you and something like me. The usual sins of sinners, pride and arrogance and greed and maybe sloth, not measuring up to what he knew he should be doing, maybe some bitterness in his soul. I don't know all the things, but Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And when he said that, he addressed the primary need of the human heart. I personally am glad that our police chief decided to abandon the policy of publicizing the criminal records of murder victims in our community. When I encountered that, my soul said there's something about this that doesn't fit right in my heart, and I told him so. But it's but it's true, we're all sinners. Everybody sins. Everybody fails. And if you look back far enough, you will find scandals and scars in almost every life. It's true. We gather here as sinners. And Jesus, when he sees the faith of these men... Boldly forgives this man's sin. Now, the forgiveness of this man, this paralyzed man, is the center of the story. You got that right? It's the heart of it. When Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, he touches every human being in that room and in this room. It's the word the paralyzed man needs to hear. Unforgiveness paralyzes more people than spinal cord injuries ever could. Unforgiveness renders them useless in their world. Unforgiveness traps them in prisons of guilt and shame. And forgiveness is a liberation that many, many people need this very day And Jesus speaks it boldly. Son, your sins are forgiven. I want you to hear it too, sister. Got some faith in your heart? Know your own condition? Can you hear the Savior say, Daughter, your sins are forgiven son your sins are forgiven do you have enough faith to receive the forgiveness that Jesus extends to you that cloud you're living under the shortcomings that are a shadow over you son your sins are forgiven daughter your sins are forgiven Jesus said, at one point, to his disciples, anybody's sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And we've wondered about, and we've talked about that. And we wonder, wait a minute, only God could forgive sins. We understand why Jesus could forgive the paralyzed man his sin. He is God. In fact, that's the center point. It's the centerpiece of the story. When that man gets up and walks, it is absolute verification that indeed his sins were forgiven. Because according to the front row of teachers of the law, he's paralyzed because of sin. It's either his sin or his parents' sin. Somebody's sin put him in that condition. That's their theology. And now he walks. So what can they say? His sins are forgiven. What do you know? But it would trouble you to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. And yet, in a way, you do it whenever you carry the good news of the gospel and introduce people to Jesus. When we talk to children and we ask them, Do you know you're a sinner? They have a consciousness of their sin. Do you want Jesus to forgive your sin? They understand how to do that. When they finally get through praying that Jesus will forgive their sin and that he will come into their life, we stop and we we process it now. We say, Now are your sins gone? Yes, they are. And we help them understand they are indeed forgiven and we are communicating the forgiveness of God. We are explicating it. We are putting it in the light. I think it's one of the reasons that it's so blessed to visit those who are in prison. It never occurred to me till I read through this passage and wondered about the declaring your sins are forgiven. I think when you show up in the prison cell with somebody who's committed murder or rape or theft or robbery or whatever that crime might be, they know that you are not dealing with them according to their sin. You're coming to see them, expressing love to them. You're not dealing with them according to their sin. Just like God doesn't deal with you according to your sin. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. That's what forgiveness is. And for you to show up in the prison and to one of the least of these say, God loves you and so do I. There's something in the soul that springs up in that person who's been found guilty and everybody knows it. Here is somebody who will not deal with me according to my sin but who extends me mercy and love. I asked Don and Lisa Cooper about going to Revard which they did week after week and month after month for a long time. They said the most amazing thing is that these kids locked up in Revard for terrible things are amazed that anybody would come to see them. It's not that your teaching is so profound. It's not that your prayers are so powerful. It's that you are present in that jail with them. And it's astonishing to them because everybody deals with them according to their sin. You extend the mercy. Hey, here's your style in the world. Here's your style in the world. God has not dealt with you as your sins deserve. So representing Him in the world, you extend that mercy and grace to others. You're not the judge you're not you're not the judge it's not your place to condemn Jesus said judge not or you will be judged if you condemn others you yourself will be condemned he took us out of the judgment seat and put us in the mercy seat. And he has dealt with us in mercy. And our style in the world is to go to the need and not in judgment say, Daryl, if you'd had a better diet, you wouldn't have got diabetes. You can do that with any sickness, any illness. You can walk by anybody in need and say, well... They got what they deserved. Anybody. It's not your place to decide who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. If you're going to represent Jesus in the world, you extend boldly the truth of forgiveness and do not deal with people according to their sin but according to God's mercy. This is at the heart of how Jesus handled people over and over again. It is so easy to be in the front row with the teachers of the law. It is so easy to check them out and be there passing judgment. And it is powerful, wonderful, and liberating to love people, whoever they are, whatever they've done. It was transformational for Carla Faye Tucker, I know. We are right now at the anniversary date of her execution. And when she first came into the prison where I was teaching the Bible... She stayed in her cell and hung back in the shadows. She was a murderer and she knew it. But as I sat on the floor on death row and sang the songs and opened the Bible and taught God's forgiveness, Carla came from the dark corner right up into the light And the power of forgiveness in her so transformed her that you could not recognize the person she became. God's unleashing you in your world to extend the power of forgiveness and mercy and love in an unusual way, in a way that doesn't fit the model and the mold. You love your mother. We're happy for you. Everybody on the planet ought to do that and tries. You love the people who love you. Very good. What different is that than the pagan? Can you love a prisoner? Prisoner? Can you love a stranger? Can you love an alien? Can you love your enemy? Can you love the man who's not like you? Can you love the woman who's sick? Can you love the child that nobody in this community sees or seems to care about? Can you love him? Because if you love those who can't love you back who are startled by your love then you are like your father in heaven and you are loving like he loves then people will see you as children of the father who sends his reign on the just and on the unjust then you will be the light that shines on the hill and people will see and give glory to God confront cynicism with healing there are people who are skeptical they're skeptical about about forgiveness they're just not sure you can be forgiven They're skeptical skeptical about Jesus and cynical about life. And they're going through life just feeling like, you know, there's really no purpose or plan or order to all this. Their view on life is cynical. The guys in the front row when Jesus spoke, they didn't believe in his forgiveness. They thought, that's blasphemy. Who is this fellow? Why does he say these things? Who can forgive sin but God alone? The miracle startled the crowd and they were amazed. But people who are hardened in their cynicism can walk right out of a miracle and never change their mind. What God calls us to do is go into our world with the power of forgiveness and confront cynicism with faith and hope and love. God calls you then to be present in your world, to go to the need, to see the need and ask God for the power and love and grace that it takes to meet it, to order your life as Jesus did, going from need to need. And when you say, Lord, I'm coming to the cross, you're saying, Lord, I want to live in the world like you lived in the world. And the cross is the primary example of Jesus going to the need. It is Jesus laying down his life for sinners like you and me, expending all that he has on our behalf. It is Jesus addressing the need and calling us to do the same as his followers. Brothers and sisters, I woke up this morning burdened about a need that was made evident to me yesterday in three different ways. Through a personal conversation, through a phone call, through an email. I was so impressed with the need in this community for encouragement for people to have hope because there's so many folks that are depressed and they are discouraged and it's hard for them really to manage life right now things have kind of fallen apart on them they've lost somebody they really loved a tragedy has come into their life things haven't turned out like they supposed they would and they're struggling to make it through I worry about the caregivers in this room. People who are seeking to represent Christ in their world. Who have gone to the need. And see need all around them. And sometimes the need feels overwhelming. Because the world is full of need. You know, today... Today... 21,000 children on this planet will die of hunger malnutrition and easily preventable disease we could fill up the superdome twice every week with the children who die of hunger and preventable disease and at the end of the year They will number more than the population of our state. Seven million children lost in a world full of resources, in a world with lots of food. And you may think, well, what can I do? All I'm saying is, Church of Jesus Christ, there's a need in the world. There's a crying need for children to get food and and care and shelter. And we are the Church of Jesus Christ, and if we follow his pattern, we go to the need. And maybe it means for you like it did for this woman in Capernaum who said, Sure, I'll open my house up. Maybe that's your calling. And God's gifted you with hospitality, and you've been thinking what you could do. And maybe for caregivers, and maybe for children in need in this community, God's saying to you, I want you to open your doors up. You got a big house, you got electricity, you got heat and air. People could use your home. Maybe that's going on in your heart. Maybe you're thinking about that. God gifts His church with hospitality. Hospitality is central to the call of Christ in the world. This woman exercised hospitality, didn't she? Now, yeah, her flower beds got trampled that day and somebody tore a hole in the roof. But she had the wonderful opportunity of having a paralyzed man healed right in her living room. All I'm saying is open the door. Maybe God's calling you to catch the broom or fix the hole in the roof or carry your friend with three other people so they can find Jesus. Maybe you're one of the mat carriers. Well, whatever you are, organize your life so that you can see the need and be deployed in Jesus' name. This is a style of being in the world. It's a style that focuses on people in need, and I'm sorry if that offends you. If you're if you want to live among the beautiful people that got it all together, and you don't want to have need in the middle of your living room, I understand. When Jesus called the man with the withered hand to the middle, he wasn't used to being there. And the crowd at the synagogue didn't want him there. And when Jesus was through healing, that poor man, they stormed out and tried to figure out how they're going to kill him. Some people do not want the presence of need in their heart, in their head, in their home, in their life. I'm just telling you, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was a man on a mission who everywhere he went was surrounded by need you say well it just it just wears me out wore him out too I just don't know look the crowd got so pressing in chapter 3 of the book of Mark that he couldn't even eat sometimes he had to escape on a boat to get away from these people who were in need sometimes the whole world must have looked to him like hands reaching out and saying help me help me help me And for any caregiver who puts the need in the middle of your life, sometimes that happens. And it gets overwhelming. And you've got to go to the quiet place and find the springs of living water that renew your soul and recharge your batteries. In fact, I pray every day that your appearance in this room and in this facility on the day of worship will be like you plugging in and recharging your battery. This will be a place of encouragement in every Sunday school class and every prayer time. And when you leave this place, you'll feel like you've been energized by the Holy Spirit for the work he's called you to do, and you can do it another week. There is a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God, and it is found in the work of the Spirit through His church. And God does this work in us. If you look around, you'll see somebody who is paralyzed, they can't do it themselves just your presence makes all the difference. When it touches your heart this week, I want you to make a note in your mind. God just showed me who my neighbor is. God's going to be picking your neighbors this week. In your heart, in your meditation, as you read in book and pray, God's going to be picking some neighbors for you. Have your ears perked up and listen. And when God points out the one in need, you say, thank you, Lord, for showing me my neighbor and love him like you love yourself. Let's bow together. Maybe you've come to this place without real spiritual direction and you need... Christ in your life and you know it if you could just acknowledge your sin and say Lord I need the one I'm the one who needs forgiveness I need your I need your work in my life would you ask him to forgive your sin and come into your life and make you free like he did that paralytic Maybe you're a Christian who's all wrung out and you somehow got weary and well-doing. We all know the feeling as we seek to follow Jesus. Would you do what Paul says? Present your body. Just lay your life in front of God like a living sacrifice. God we need you whether we need to know you and be introduced to you for the first time in our life or whether that's been our walk we need you Lord we pray that you will draw us to yourself give us new strength clarify the direction for our life show us the need help us love our neighbor Help us grab that mat and get that man to Jesus. We make ourselves available. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.